Chapter Thirteen of Ravensdean Court. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Spoils of Sacrilege. Until that moment, I had not thought much about the reason of my presence at Blythe. I had, at any rate, thought no more than that Scarterfield had merely come across some writing which he found it hard to decipher. But one glance at the documents which he placed in my hands showed me that he had accidentally come across a really important find. Within another moment I was deeply engrossed, and he saw that I was. He sat silently watching me, once or twice looking up at him. I saw him nod as if to imply that he had felt sure of the importance of the things he had given me. And presently, laying the documents on the table between us, I smiled at him. Scarterfield, I said, are you at all up in the history of your own country? Couldn't say that I am, Mr. Middlebrook, he answered with a shake of his head. Not beyond what a lad learns at school, and I dare say I've forgotten a lot of that. My job, you see, has always been with the hard facts of the actual present, not with what took place in the past. But you're up to certain notable episodes, I suggested. You know, for instance, that when the religious houses were suppressed, abbeys, priories, convents, hospitals, in the reign of Henry the Eighth, a great deal of their plate and jewels were confiscated to the use of the king? Oh, I've heard that, he admitted. Nice haul the old chap got, too, I'm given to understand. He didn't get all, said I. A great deal of the monastic plate disappeared, clean vanished. It used to be said that a lot of it was hidden away or buried by its owners, but it's much more likely that it was stolen by the covetous and greedy folk of the neighbourhood, the big men, of course. Anyway, while a great deal was certainly sent by the commissioners to the King's Treasury in London, a lot more, especially in out-of-the-way places and districts, just disappeared and was never heard of again. Up here in the north of England that was very often the case. And all this is merely a preface to what I'm going to tell you. Have you the least idea of what these documents are? No, he replied, unless they're lists of something. I did make out that they might be, by the way the words and figures are arranged, like inventories. They are inventories, I exclaimed, both, written in crabbed calligraphy too, but easy enough to read if you're acquainted with sixteenth-century penmanship spelling and abbreviations look at the first one it is here described as an inventory of all the jewels plate etc appertaining and belonging unto the abbey of forestburn and it was made in the year fifteen thirty six this abbey therefore was one of the smaller houses that came under the two hundred pound limit and was accordingly suppressed in the year just mentioned now look at the second it also is an inventory of the jewels and plate of the priory of Mallerton, made in the same year, and similarly suppressed. But though both these houses were of the smaller sort, it is quite evident from a cursory glance at these inventories that they were pretty rich in jewels and plate. By the term jewels is meant plate wherein jewels were set. As to the plate, it was, of course, the sacramental vessels and appurtenances and judging by these entries, the whole mass of plate must have been considerable. Uh, worth a good deal, eh? he asked. A great deal, 
and if it's in existence now much more than a great deal i replied but i'll read you some of the items set down here i'll read a few haphazard they are set down you see with their weight in ounces specified and you'll observe what a number of items there are in each inventory we'll look at just a few a chalice twenty-eight ounces another chalice thirty-six ounces a mazer forty-seven ounces one pair candlesticks fifty-two ounces two cruets thirty-one ounces one censer twenty-eight ounces one cross fifty-eight ounces another cross forty-eight ounces three dozen spoons forty-eight ounces one salt with covering twenty-eight ounces a great cross seventy-two ounces a patten sixteen ounces another patten twenty ounces three tablets of proper gold work eighty-five ounces in all and so on and so on a very nice collection scarterfield considering that these are only a few items at random out of some seventy or eighty altogether but we can easily reckon up the total weight indeed it's already reckoned up at the foot of each inventory at forestburn you see there was a sum total of two thousand two hundred and thirty eight ounces of plate at mellerton one thousand eight hundred and seventy ounces so these two inventories represent a mass of about four thousand ounces worth having scarterfield in either the sixteenth or the twentieth century and in the main it would be what asked scarterfield gold silver some of it gold some silver a good deal of it silver gilt i replied i can tell all that by reading the inventories more attentively but i've told you what a mere cursory glance shows four thousand ounces of plate some of it jewelled he soliloquized whew and what do you make of it mr middlebrook i mean of all that i've told you putting everything together that you've told me i answered with some confidence i make this of it this plate originally church property came we won't ask how into the hands of the late lord forestburn and may have been in possession of his family hidden away perhaps for four centuries but at any rate it was in his possession and he deposited it with his bankers across the way he may indeed not have known what was in it again he may have known now i take it that the dishonest temporary manager you told me of examined these chests decided to appropriate their valuable contents and enlisted the services of netherfield baxter in his nefarious labours i think that these inventories were found in the chests one probably in each and that baxter kept them out of sheer curiosity you say he was a fellow of some education as for the plate i think he and his associate hid it somewhere and if you want my honest opinion it was for that that salter quick was looking scarterfield clapped his hand on the table that's it he exclaimed hanged if i don't think that myself it's my opinion that this netherfield baxter when he looked at it out of here got into far regions and strange company came into touch with those quicks and told him the secret of this stolen plate he was i'm sure the netherfield of that ship the quicks were on yes sir i think we may safely bet on it that salter quick as you say was looking for this plate and so was somebody else said i 
and it was that somebody else who murdered Salter Quick. Aye, he assented. Now, who? That's the question. And what's the next thing to do, Mr. Middlebrook? It seems to me that the next thing to do is to find out all you can about this plate, I replied. If I were you, I should take two people into your confidence, the headman, director, chairman, or whatever he is at the bank, and the present Lord Forestburn. I will, he agreed. I'll see him both first thing tomorrow morning. Do you go with me, Mr. Middlebrook? You'll explain these old papers better than I should. So Scarterfield and I spent that evening together in the little hotel, and after dinner I explained the inventories more particularly. I came to the conclusion that if the four thousand ounces of plate specified in them were in the chests which the dishonest temporary bank manager had stolen, he had got a very fine haul. The value, of course, of the plate was not so much intrinsic as extrinsic. There were collectors, English and American, who would cheerfully give vast sums for pre-Reformation sacramental vessels. Transactions of this kind, I fancied, must have been in the minds of the thieves. There were features of the whole affair which puzzled me. Not the least important was my wonder that this plate, undeniably church property, should have remained so long in the Forestburn family without being brought into the light of day. I hoped that our inquiries next morning would bring some information on that point. But we got no information, at least none of any consequence. All that was known by the authorities at the bank was that the late Lord Forestburn had deposited two chests of plate with them years before, with instructions that they were to remain in the bank's custody until his son succeeded him. Even then they were not to be opened unless the son had already come of age. The bank people had no knowledge of the precise contents of the chests. All they knew was that they contained plate. As for the present Lord Forestburn, a very young man, he knew nothing, except that his father's mysterious deposit had been burgled by a dishonest custodian. He expressed no opinion about anything, therefore. But the chief authority at the bank, a crusty and self-sufficient old gentleman, who seemed to consider Scarterfield and myself as busybodies, pooh-poohed the notion that the inventories which we showed him had anything to do with the rifled forest-burned chests, and scorned the notion that the family had ever been in possession of goods obtained by sacrilege. Preposterous, he said with a sniff of contempt. What the chests contained was, of course, superfluous family plate. As for these documents, that fellow Baxter, in spite of his loose manner of living, was, I remember, a bit inclined to scholarship, and went in for old books and things, a strange mixture altogether. He probably picked up these parchments in some bookseller's shop in Durham or Newcastle. I don't believe they've anything to do with Lord Forestburn's stolen property, and I advise you both not to waste your time in running after mare's nests. Scarterfield and I got ourselves out of this starchy person's presence, and confided to each other our private opinions of him and his intelligence. For to us the theory which we had set up was unassailable. We tried to reduce it to strict and formal precision as we ate our lunch in a quiet corner of the hotel coffee-room previous to parting. More than one of us, Scarterfield, 
who have taken part in this discussion have said that if we are going to get at the truth of things we shall have to go back i observed well what you have found out here takes us back some way let us suppose we can't do anything without a certain amount of supposition let us i say for the sake of argument suppose that the man netherfield of blythe who was with noah and salter quick on the ship elizabeth robinson bound from hong kong to chemulpo is the same person as netherfield baxter who certainly lived in this town a few years ago very well now then what do we know of baxter we know this that a dishonest bank manager stole certain valuables from the bank died suddenly just afterwards and that baxter disappeared just as suddenly the supposition is that baxter was concerned in that theft we'll suppose more that baxter knew where the stolen goods were had in fact helped to secrete them well the next we hear of him is supposing him to be netherfield on this ship which according to the reports you got at lloyd's was lost with all hands in the yellow sea but a big but we know now that whatever happened to the rest of those on board three men at any rate saved their lives noah quick salter quick and the chinese cook whose exact name we've forgotten but one of whose patronymics was chu chu turns up at lloyd's in london and asks a question about the ship noah quick materializes at devonport and runs a public house salter joins him there and presently salter is up on the northumbrian coast professing great anxiety to find a churchyard or churchyards wherein are graves with the name netherfield on them he makes the excuse that that is the family name of his mother's people now we know what happened to salter quick and we also know what happened to noah quick but now i'm wondering if something else happened before that i mr middlebrook said scarterfield and what now i'm wondering i answered leaning nearer to him across the little table at which we sat if noah and salter severally or conjointly had murdered this netherfield baxter before they themselves were murdered they or somebody who was in with them who afterwards murdered them do you understand i'm afraid i don't he said no i don't quite see things look you here scarterfield said i supposing a gang of men men of no conscience desperate adventurous men gets together as men were together on that ship the doings and fate of which seem to be pretty mysterious they're all out for what they can get one of them is in possession of a valuable secret and he imparts it to the others or to some of them a chosen lot there have been known such cases where a secret is shared by say five or six men in which murder after murder occurs until the secret is only held by one or two a half share in a thing is worth more than one-sixth scarterfield and a secret of one is far more valuable than a secret shared with three do you understand now i see he answered slowly you mean that salter and noah may have got rid of netherfield baxter and that somebody has got rid of them precisely said i you put it very clearly well he said if that's so there are as has been plain all along two men concerned in putting the quicks out of the way 
for Noah was finished off on the same night that saw Salter finished, and there was four hundred miles distance between the scenes of their respective murders. The man who killed Noah was not the man who killed Salter, to be sure. Of course, I agreed. We've always known there were two. There may be more, a gang of them, and remarkably clever fellows. But I'm getting sure that the desire to recover some hidden treasure, valuables, something of that sort, was at the bottom of it, and now I'm all the surer because of what we found out about this monastic spoil. But there are things that puzzle me. Such as what? he asked. Well, that eagerness of Salter Quick's to find a churchyard with the name Netherfield on the stones, I replied, and his coming to that part of the Northumbrian coast expecting to find it. Because, so far as the experts know, there is no such name on any stone, nor in any parish register in all that district. Who, then, told him of the name? You see, if my theory is correct, and Baxter told him and Noah, he'd tell them the exact locality. Ah, but would he, said Scarterfield, he mightn't. He might only give them a general notion. Still, Netherfield it was that Salter asked for. That's certain, said I and I'm puzzled why. But I'm puzzled still more about another thing. If the men who murdered Noah and Salter Quick were in possession of the secret as well, why did they rip their clothes to pieces searching for something? Why later did somebody steal that tobacco box from under the very noses of the police? Scarterfield shook his head. The shake meant a great deal. That fairly settles me, he remarked. Why, the murderer must have been actually present at the inquest. But at that I shook my head. Oh, dear me, no, said I, not at all. But some agent of his was certainly there. My own impression is that Mr. Cassellet's eagerness about that box gave the whole show away. Shall I tell you how I figure things out? Well, I think there were men, we don't know who, that either knew with absolute certainty or were pretty sure that Noah Quick and Salter Quick were in possession of a secret, and that one or the other, and perhaps both, carried it on him in the shape of papers. Each was killed for that secret. The murderers found nothing in either case. But Mr. Cazalet's remarks, made before a lot of men, drew attention to the tobacco-box, and the murderer determined to get it. And what was easier than to abstract it at the inquest, where it was exhibited in company with several other things of Salter's. "'I can't say if it was easy or not, Mr. Middlebrook,' observed Scarterfield. "'Were you there, present?' "'I was there,' said I. "'So were most of the people of the neighbourhood, as many as could get into the room, anyway. A biggish room. There'd be a couple of hundred people in it. And many of them were strangers. When the proceedings were over, men were crowding about the table, on which Quick's things had been laid out for exhibition to the coroner and the jury. What easier than for someone to pick up that box? The place was so crowded that such an action would pass unnoticed. Very evident it did, observed Scarterfield. But I've heard of such things being taken out of sheer curiosity, morbid desire to get hold of something that had to do with the murder. However, if this particular thing was abstracted by the murderer, or by somebody acting on his behalf, 
it looks as if he or they were on the spot and then that affair of mr cassellet's pocket-book well scarterfield said i there's another way of regarding both these thefts supposing tobacco-box and pocket-book were stolen not as a means of revealing a secret but so that no one else cassellet or anybody should get at it eh there's something in that he admitted thoughtfully you mean that the murderers had already got rid of the quicks so that there should be two less in the secret and these things stolen lest outsiders should get any inkling of it precisely i answered closeness and secrecy that's been at the back of everything so far i tell you you're dealing with unusually crafty brains i wish i could get the faintest idea of whose brains they were he sighed a direct clue now before he could say any more one of the hotel servants came into the coffee-room and made for our table there's a man in the hall asking for mr scarterfield he announced looks like a seafaring man sir he says mrs ormthwaite told him he'd find you here woman with whom baxter used to lodge muttered scarterfield in an aside to me come along mr middlebrook you never know what you mayn't hear we went out into the hall there twisting his cap in his hands stood a big brown-bearded man End of chapter 13